Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband Bob. Today we'll be reading portions of Genesis chapter 11 from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Beginning at verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Verses 10 through 26 list the descendants of Noah's son Shem. After many generations, one of these descendants was a man named Terah, who was then the father of a man named Abram. Abram, his wife Sarai, and his nephew Lot play important roles in biblical history. The beginning of their story is found at the conclusion of Genesis chapter 11 in verses 27 to 32. Unlike the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible that we just read from, the English Standard Version, or ESV, once again uses androcentric language in this passage. In verse 5, the ESV makes reference to the children of man. In Hebrew, the expression is the children of ha-adam, referring to either humanity or the first human being that God created. Similarly, the Greek expression is anthropon, which is properly translated humankind. The New Revised Standard Version more accurately reflects the meaning found in the Bible's oldest languages by referring to the descendants of Adam using the gender-neutral term mortals. Some English translations of Genesis 11:2 say that those who survived the flood traveled towards the east, whereas others say that they traveled from the east. In the Greek Septuagint, the expression is from where the sun rises. In other words, they traveled in a westward direction until they came to a plain in the land of Shinar. This region would later be known as Babylon. Once in the plain, something went terribly wrong. The people decided to build a tower that would reach to heaven. Though many English translations say the tower would reach to the heavens in the plural, the Greek word is found in the singular and was often used to refer to heaven or, in Greek thinking, the seat of the gods. The people's motivation for this construction is highlighted for us in Genesis 11.4. They did it to make a name for themselves. In other words, they decided to build a monument to their own greatness that would reach as far as God's abode in heaven. To curb human arrogance, God intervened by confusing people's language. 
different language groups then separated from one another and spread across the face of the earth. The tower was abandoned and became known as Babel in Hebrew or Saghusis in Greek, both of which mean confusion. In ancient Babylonian history, there is also mention of a great tower known as Babalu. In the ancient Akkadian language, this meant the gate of God. Babel in Hebrew sounds very similar, but conveys a very different meaning. The story of the Tower of Babel can be summarized by comparing the meaning of these two names. While the tower was intended to be a gateway to God's domain, it became a place of confusion. According to Babylonian mythology, the Tower of Babelu marked the center of the universe, a direct line from earth to heaven. Inhabitants of the nearby town of Babel preserved this tradition and then shared it with Western visitors in the 16th century AD. In the 19th century, the remains of the tower were rediscovered by the native Arabian population. People of the nearby village wanted to create a palm garden and discovered ancient bricks when they lowered the groundwater level. German engineers understood the significance and in 1913, Robert Caldaway started the excavation of the site. Reference to this great tower can be found in the ancient history of Herodotus and ancient Babylonian creation mythology. Though its construction was abandoned in Genesis chapter 11, further building took place by order of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon between 605 and 562 BC. Babylonian kings boasted that the tower reached unto heaven. In the prophetic book of Daniel, chapter 3, we read that King Nebuchadnezzar also ordered the construction of a gigantic golden idol that all the nations and peoples of his empire must worship or be put to death. As he did with the original builders of the Tower of Babel, God sent confusion upon Nebuchadnezzar to curb his arrogance and resulting cruelty. The great tower in Babylon stood in one form or another until what remained of it was cleared away during the time of Alexander the Great of ancient Greece. Many historians and archaeologists discuss this tower and its likely relationship to Genesis chapter 11. A concise summary of this historical information is available in an article by historian and archaeologist Jonah Lendering posted at Livius.org. Why was God so displeased with the Tower of Babel? And why did he intervene by confusing humanity's languages? Understood in its oldest languages and original context, we find indications in Genesis chapter 11 of human pride alongside the belief that human beings can ascend to heaven by our own efforts apart from God. Throughout both Old and New Testaments, we see a recurring theme that those who exalt themselves in pride will be humbled, while those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the language used by Jesus in Matthew 23.12. Here, Jesus was addressing the religious leaders of his day. He confronted them for viewing themselves as if they were more important and valuable than other persons. They viewed themselves as being righteous and godly by their own efforts. They devised elaborate traditions 
by which they imagined they could make themselves worthy of heaven. Rather than liberating people from sinful patterns of thinking and behavior, these traditions simply became another form of bondage and oppression. Assuming they were better than others, these religious men also traditionally said a prayer of thanks to God that they were not born as Gentiles, slaves, or women. Reference to this prayer can be found in Talmud Menahot 43. In addition to looking down upon those victimized by the injustice of slavery, this line of thinking was also racist and sexist. Jesus confronted this type of thinking throughout his time on earth. For example, he first revealed himself as the Messiah, not to the Jewish male leaders of his day, but rather to a woman he met at Jacob's well in Samaria. Both Samaritans and women were looked down on by the religious elite. Yet Jesus spoke with this woman one-on-one, -on -one, revealing first to her that he was the promised Messiah. Though religious tradition held that women were not reliable messengers, this woman shared the news about the Messiah with the people of her town, many of whom became followers of Jesus. This story can be found in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Jesus confronts religious pride again when he tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisees were a sect of religious teachers that claimed they had the only correct interpretation of God's law. In many instances, this interpretation was self-serving, self-elevating, and it based their sense of worthiness on teaching and enforcing their own religious traditions. We find this story in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, which read as follows. Jesus also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves, thinking they were righteous, but who looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, O God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, dishonest people, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my entire income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and would not even look up to heaven. Instead, he continued to beat his chest and said, O God, be merciful to me, the sinner that I am. I tell you, this man, rather than the other one, went down to his home justified, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the person who humbles himself will be exalted. The Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee himself before becoming a follower of Jesus, confronted their pride, sexism, and racism by explaining in his letter to the church in Galatia that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. We find that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. In the family of God, all human beings share the same worth and status. This value is not something we need to attain through our own efforts. God created each and every human being with intrinsic worth. We are all created in the image of God. Also, nothing we can do in our own strength will make us worthy of heaven. 
all of us can be citizens of heaven because Jesus Christ was sent to die on the cross and take away our sins. God does not require us to earn our way to heaven by following elaborate religious traditions or building great monuments. This type of religion leads to pride, oppression, and prejudice. God is hoping that we will learn to humbly trust and follow Jesus now and for eternity by faith. This is the message of the Tower of Babel. Pride leads to destruction and we cannot make ourselves worthy of heaven by our own efforts. Genesis chapter 11 concludes by making reference to a descendant of Noah named Abram. Through the lives of Abram and his wife Sarai, we will see that the blessing of God is a gift that cannot be earned. It is something that can only be humbly received through faith.